Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. and welcome along to a special programme from the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. I'm John Hindhoff. You know, it's been a real pleasure in 2019 to cover all of the action from IMSA once again over on RS2, our dedicated IMSA radio channel. And one of the great joys has been the variety of motor racing that we've had. We'll look at the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in its own dedicated review show. But uh, in this particular show, we'll be looking at the IMSA series that uh, chase around the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So to come, we'll look at the Michelin Pilot Challenge. We'll be looking at the Single Manufacturer Series as well. But we're going to start with the IMSA Prototype Challenge, mainly because they get started the quickest of all of those IMSA sanctioned series. They'll be back on track at the Raw for their first race of 2020 a four-hour contest and the good news as ever is you don't have to listen to me wittering on uh, on my own we've actually got an expert here our very own at gearbox girl it's Shea adam racing on america's classic circus this is imza radio hello Shea. hello john Good to have it's your nice company. To be called an expert. Oh yes, no. Good to have your company for this. Uh, I couldn't possibly attack this uh, on my own. First of all, before we <laughs> we dig into the the events themselves and to the the final standings, the IMSA Prototype Challenge has dis- developed actually really rather well over the last couple of three seasons since the LMP3 um, formula has been taken on uh, by. Uh, by IMSA, it, it's still been, I think, by everybody's admission, a bit of a work in progress. And in fact, we'll discuss some of the rules changes for for 2020 season when we get to the end of uh, of this. But it's been a journey that IMSA have gone on with the teams concerned, and it's it's all been done um, with consent of the paddock. And I think that's really important. And I think that adds to the the popularity uh, of uh, the success of, of this championship. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, it seems like only yesterday, actually, that I got on a plane and sat down next to Elliot Forbes Robinson on the way to VIR. And he mentioned to me that the paddock was asking for longer races. So it was something that race control was taking into consideration. Obviously, that was a couple of years ago now because we have had a season under our belt where we've had a couple of three-hour endurance races, true endurance races for this series that already in its shorter form has miniature endurance races. But it's all about the feedback. What do people want to make this a better series? What can IMSA do to attract new clientele? We've seen this series develop from the open cockpit lights cars to a conglomeration of those and LMP3 to now being strictly LMP3. And then for next year, enforcing new rules, as you you hinted at, to try and make the competition more and more fair and not just allow youngsters to come in clean up. They truly want this to be for the gentlemen of the sport. And that's what the LMP3 series, what the IMSA Prototype Challenge has been all about this year. That's really where we've seen it thrive. It's a nice, and we'll say this about a couple of the championships though, it, it, it is a nice balance uh, and IMSA are working hard to retain this balance between the gentleman racer, I, I would say the hobby racer, but that Almost sounds like I'm putting them down and I don't really want to do that. But what I'm talking about is the other drivers who aren't racing as a career. They're still doing it for fun. They want to do it in a downforce car. They want to do it in a real racing 
prototype, which these cars certainly are, and by the way, they sound great and uh, as well as they look great as well. The fans love them too. I, I think I think it's good that IMSA are keeping uh, keeping that balance. Uh, as far as the championship season uh, was concerned, Daytona Sebring, Mid Ohio. Uh, Canadian Time Motorsport Park, VIR, Road Atlanta was uh, the season. So kicking off with the four-hour race, which is the highlight of the Raw before the Rolex 24, which seems an awful long time ago now and is actually much closer to us for next year than it obviously is for the season. Starting, um, really, as we look at the the team's championship, it, it does tell for the most part, the story of the season. And the the season, um, I wouldn't say dominated, but certainly there was a couple of three teams at the sharp end of the field for most of the season. One of those being the number 47 from 47 Motorsports. Although they didn't win the first race, they had a, uh, three very good results at Daytona, Sebring and Mid-Ohio got the first win at CTMP and then closed out the season as, yep. as team's championship they were pushed for the, the most part of the season up until VIR by the number 4 from ANSA uh, Motorsports uh, throughout the the year uh, as well which, was, which yeah. was good news but really Austin McCusker and Rodrigo Fluke um, against Stephen McAleer um, uh, and a number of different uh, teammates for Stephen uh, down through the year. But Austin and uh, Rodrigo really formed a very strong bond early on. Yes, yes, they did. They were second at Daytona and Sebring. They were just off the podium at Mid-Ohio. They, as you mentioned, got the win at Canadian Tire. But it's sort of remarkable to think that this duo who came in it was consistency that won them the championship. And that will be a theme that we see coming in a lot, but there were individual drivers who won multiple races and didn't win the championship. Whereas you had this one duo who only walked with one first place prize during the year who took home the first place prize at the end of the year. And so interesting to look back between the driver's successes versus the team successes, uh, namely Stephen McAleer, who co-drove with team owner Joe Robillard at two of the rounds, the long endurance races. But when he was solo, got the win at Sebring, got win at VAR in that crazy rain race. Remember, he spun behind the safety car. How do you spin behind the safety car and still drove back to win that race? So just a remarkable year in terms of individual drivers' performances. But even though the top five drivers, John, they're all, I'll be kind and say, around or under the age of 35, it was the Bronze Cup that was the most captivating to me because that was Jonathan George and Joel Janko. And and this was something new for 2019, the Bronze Cup being only drivers in the car who are of the bronze stature. So effectively, you can't bring in the fast young kid to help you win a race. You have to carry your own load. That championship came down to Road Atlanta between Jay Squared and Lance Wilsey, Dave House, and Paula Hay. Mm. All five of those guys who were performing week in and week out doing the mother load of the work for their teams. They're the real heroes to me. Uh, just pick out uh, a couple of uh, of other uh, good uh, good events. I mean, if we go back to 47 Motorsports who won the championship, their worst race of the season was when they clinched the championship at Road Atlanta in yes. terms of their, their finish. Uh, no, it wasn't actually. No, sorry, I'll tell a lie. It was at VIR. They were um, a place or so further back. Um, and some motorsports yes. we've mentioned. Um, a team that possibly a few people won't have heard of in third position in the championship and they were only 10 points further back that was the number 60 uh, Wolver racing car in the Liege year with Bruce Hamilton uh, uh, Tony uh, Tony's Kazimets and, and Scott Maxwell mm-hmm. jumped into that car uh, as well through the season um, a, a good they had a good run um, uh, in uh, in the championship but not one of the if you if I dare say not one of the glamour teams no, they're the little team that can. They've been there for a couple of years now, and they're always there and thereabouts. We've seen some really strong sessions from Tony's in particular 
thinking back to Sebring, might have been two years ago, where he set the fastest time by by a mile and just left everyone else in the dirt. So over racing, the team's definitely not getting all the credit they deserve. But the same can be said of the team that finished fourth in the standings, MLT Motorsports. I can remember walking around the paddock with Jeremy at Sebring this year, and we walked over to this new setup. It was a rig, though. It was a different color from the tent, from a different color from the car. This little team from just outside of Atlanta with a just outside of Atlanta kid driving for them. Well, that kid really made a name for himself this year because that would be Dylan Murray. So that was a very exciting addition to the paddock. They missed the first round last year. They did get the win at Mid-Ohio, though. Remember, that was the first of Dylan Murray's two wins that day. So it was a pretty exciting day for him. But uh, a very interesting new team to the paddock. And you think about that. They finished fourth in the championship, having missed an entire round. So what are they going to do for 2020? That's going to be a team to watch out for. Listening to a special programme here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels as we're looking back uh, at the IMSA season. We will have a a WeatherTech programme dedicated to that championship. We're looking at the the moment at the uh, IMSA Prototype Challenge. And just before we leave that and move on, uh, to the GT uh, championships from the two manufacturers share. A, a word about the two different versions of the LMP3. Uh, it was a Norma that took the, the championship and they did seem to have a slight advantage at most uh, of the venues this year and, and particularly in qualifying. The thing that I'm encouraged by though, John, is how much less of an advantage it was this year as compared to years before thinking back to when the norma first really burst onto the scene you had drivers like kenton cook who at road atlanta were able to pull clear away from the ligiers and just abandon them we didn't see that in the race this year we saw some good dicing back and forth matt bell with a very impressive performance for ligier in that final race I think the gap between the two manufacturers has come down a bunch. And it was Norma who came out of the gate so strong with the advantage, particularly having built off of what they had already developed and established. But I've got a lot of hope for the Ligier coming into next year in particular. I think the ground that they're starting on for the roar before the 24 is a lot more even than it has been in previous years. Okay, that is interesting. Um, that's that's very interesting. It's put my mic beside my mouth, otherwise you'll never be able to hear me. Um, well, <laughs> it, it was always one of for me. It was always one of the highlights uh, of the uh, weekend, uh, and it will be again. And I really do think it's a good proving ground uh, for uh, drivers coming up into uh, the big show. Let's move on to the Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama. Um, another fabulous season. Let's start in the gold category, where, well, in, in fact, in both categories, we had a relative degree of of dominance uh, this year. Congratulations to uh, Sebastian Carrazzo, uh, who uh, wins the championship, um, having, I think, won at every weekend, won one race at least at every weekend in the gold Cup this year. He edges uh, Rob Ferriol in second, Kurt Swearingen in third, Efren Castro in fourth position in the top six made up by Richard Edge and, and Bart Collins uh, in the in the gold category for the slightly older cars. A, a good year from Sebastian. He, he's 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 earned the right. He, he's he's worked his apprenticeship and takes the championship. Worthy winner. 12 out of 16 wins. It's pretty hard to beat that record. Sebastian Carrazzo, who didn't finish off the podium once this whole season. You're right in getting a win every weekend, by the way. But uh, this kid who came onto the scene not very long ago to come away with the gold championship, I feel badly for Rob Ferriel, who for the second year in a row finishes second in the gold championship because he really did have a breakout season, John. We, We saw him driving a lot of different cars. He was in the Audi R8 GT4 in the Michelin Pilot Challenge for a couple of rounds, really working a lot with his coach, Spencer Pompelli, to try and figure out this racing thing. And he really did flourish in this championship this year. Kurt Swearingen, another one of the drivers who ran full season this year, who's dabbled in it before, 
But Sebastian Carrazzo was the guy who, if he got a clean, we were expecting him just to run away. So he did sort of make it a bit boring in that sense. But for next year, don't know where he's going to be racing. Don't know in which car. And uh, that could open the door for some other runners in the gold category to really come through and take a win. I, I do wonder, though, how long are we going to keep seeing this gold category because the Gen 2 cars run in the platinum, Gen 1 running in gold. We've got cars 14. So, okay, even yeah, this season, they're already the oldest, five yeah. years old. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've got a little bit of time left with the gold category, and I'm really pleased for that. Uh, moving on to the later model cars, the Gen 2 cars, we talked in Prototype Challenge about a nice balance between career drivers uh, using these IMSA-sanctioned series as a platform, as a shop window, as a springboard, call it what you will, but certainly they're out there to get noticed. Uh, but they're in that championship and in this Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama, are uh, plenty of very dedicated uh, non-career-minded drivers uh, of a certain age, some of them as well. Uh, it, some of them have come to racing later in life. Some of them have raced for a, a long time and have found themselves in Porsche and decided to stay there. So the Masters Championship um, was pretty well contested uh, this year with, at various stages, uh, decent Decent runs from Charlie Luck, who got uh, at least one second place, I seem to uh, remember. That was at uh, VIR in the second race. Uh, David Brule, Bill Smith in that bright orange car, Werner McClure and Fred Podad. But none of them could catch the eventual winner in the Masters, Alan Metney, who hasn't got a lot of motor racing behind him. But my goodness, and this seems odd for me to say to a gentleman of of his standing in in the experience of life. He really matured as a racing driver this year, got some good overall results yeah. as well. And all of a sudden, it seems to be making sense to him. He's always been quick, but he seems to understand it more. And I thought um, some of his driving, a lot of his driving, the majority of his driving, he drove with the kind of uh, head on his shoulders that the racing experience he's got, really, he shouldn't have that. He must be wishing he'd started 20 years earlier. Yeah, there were only a couple of races this year for Alan Metney where things really went pear-shaped. But other than that, he was fighting for the overall lead at Road America. Yeah. Like, we think about the Road America weekend and still get a bit of hives running up and down our spines because of that natural um, disaster, in effect, <laughs> that took place where we had, what, four laps of green racing over the course of two races. I mean, it, it was not a good performance in terms of what we expect from driving standards. But Alan Metney was up there in second overall. I'm wondering what class Alan Metney is going to choose to race in next year because now he's got that confidence. He doesn't need to beat up the Masters. He can go up and beat up these young kids. But it's different. Uh, ABS, no ABS in the car. That would be harder for him to adapt to. But a new challenge might be exactly what Alan Metney craves. Because two years of winning the Platinum Master category, maybe he's thinking about getting the overall championship. I, I thought he used the tools very well, though, particularly in the conditions, in all conditions, but particularly in conditions where it was a bit yes. difficult. He really used the ABS with confidence and aggressively. He didn't use it defensively. He used it for attacking people. Uh, and I, I thought it was stunning. It's a testament to how well he did across the season, Shea. Um, that second at, at Road America was his high point in terms of, of overalls. But he, he had a, a couple of top five other top, top five finishes. Um, uh, certainly had yeah. a good result uh, in the first race at Road America as well, didn't he, of course, as I remember now, as I'm looking at the numbers. But he finished fifth overall in the, in the GT3 Platinum yes. Championship. So there was a lot of good talent uh, behind him. So I, I've got to say it was a good season for Alan Metney. As, as far as the GT3 yep. Platinum drivers was con were concerned, um, I really feel a little bit for uh, 
Jeff Kingsley, who was fourth, and certainly for Riley Dickinson and Maxwell Root, two young charges that we'll be talking about an awful lot in years to come. Uh, multiple race victories across the season for Max Root, and his points tally in any other year, you would probably say, would have been enough for him to take the championship. He and Riley Dickinson would have been duking it out, but it wasn't any other year. It was a special year. It was a special year for one driver who we've been looking at for a couple of seasons now, and that was Roman De Angelis, who who, frankly, barely put a wheel wrong. It was a ridiculous year for Roma DeAngelis, who didn't finish on the podium once between two series. When you consider that, all the weekends that he had 12 weekends or 12 races for the Canadian Championship and 16 for the U.S., VIR, the second race, was the only time Roman DeAngelis did not come away with a trophy between both championships. So he had a ridiculous points-gathering season. But champion aside, and I will come back to him in a second, Jeff Kingsley had a weird year because, remember, he started off in a different JDX car. He was going to run the full season, then he wasn't going to run the full season, then he found himself inheriting Parker Thompson's car for the full season. So he wound up switching numbers. It, It was a very confusing year for Jeff, who also ran in the GT3 Cup Canada Series. So he had a dual championship to go as well. Riley Dickinson came into this year. He didn't have a great deal of Porsche experience. He really struggled at some of the races. There was a moment in Watkins Glen in the first race where he made a brilliant pass going into the bus stop to inherit the lead, then seemingly didn't know what to do with the lead and lost it by the exit of the bus stop. Yeah. Uh, but that was that was sort of a funny moment. He really learned finishing off the season very strong and coming really to his own at Road Atlanta where he got a win in the first race. And then we talked a little bit about Maxwell Root, who was in his second or third year now in the Porsches, the former Hurley Haywood scholarship winner. We stole him away from open wheel cars Mm -hmm. in effect, John. He really figured it out in the last couple of races of the year. He learned how to win. And that's some of the most important things that you can figure out in racing and especially in sports cars once you master the ability to win in a Porsche GT3 cup car you remember that and you bring it back for the next year. Worst result of the season second race of Barber and that um, you would have thought that might have tainted the early part of his season but he came back very strongly with uh, a run of one, two, three, four, five, six podium finishes. Uh, not so great at Road America in the first race, but then bounced back again and again came back with five podium finishes. As I say, I feel a little bit for Maxwell Root because um, I think in a, another year he could have well have had the keys to that new Porsche 992 for a year, but that's gone to Roman De Angelis. He also went as effectively a wild card to the Porsche Young Driver test. First time that's been given out uh, as a uh, as an incentive in, in this championship. Uh, he's going to be a driver we'll hear more of. Um, obviously, he's uh, got to work out his, his funding. But sky's the limit for Roman. I, 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 I wonder if Porsche are looking at him seriously as a young driver. We haven't had a US Porsche young driver for quite some time. Well, he's Canadian, and that's North the American, other benefit. I have seen, yes. To, well, yes, but I know what you mean. Uh, that's the benefit to them is that they could have a two for one because he's an, a U.S. champion and a Canadian champion and a Canadian kid who's from yeah. just across the river of the U.S. So you're sort of, you know, you're you're buying one getting one free sort of thing <laughs> for Porsche. But Roman, who ran the Rolex to begin the year in an Audi, remember that beautiful mm-hmm. Audi that was painted up like the giant Canadian flag? Got a trophy there. He finished third in that race. So you've got to be feeling like if Porsche aren't going to scoop this kid up, there are certainly other manufacturers who have his number and who might be talking to him. But the sky is the limit. The problem is he's so young that there's so much time to sort of watch him mature. And I think perhaps that's what some of the manufacturers are doing. They're sort of waiting to see how he grows up. Yeah, absolutely right. I Again, it's it's, it's probably one of my favourite things of the weekend is hearing flat sixes fire up. I look forward to that. Congratulations to, N- Congratulations to NGT Motorsport who took the... Uh, the 
Gold Teams Championship. Kelly Moss Road and Race, wasn't it, in the uh, in the Platinum and continuing there. Both of those teams' runs of uh, success. But it should be said, we've got a, a lot of good teams uh, in the championship, including Top Racing, Moor Speed, JDX, of course. Uh, multiple uh, entries from all of those teams. And they'll be uh, another great feature for the 2020 season. Uh, let's move on then to, before we get to, I suppose, what you would call the uh, main event of the what IMSA call their development series, uh, the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Let's move on to Lamborghinis, the Super Trofeo uh, North America. Um, it, it hasn't always uh, had the numbers, uh, but it was a pretty decent number of uh, full season entries uh, this year, Sheer, and multiple championships, not great amount of uh, entries in each of the classes, but still plenty of, of competition and a, a race format again with the pit stops in the middle that can always throw a curveball here and there. Yeah, and I mean, we think about this series and how there are four different classes and the cars are identical. It's the driver talent that separates the classes. So in theory, you could have a pro-am car with an amateur driver and a pro driver, and the pro drivers up there mixing it up with the pro-pro drivers. Yeah. So we do get a lot of fun battles between all of the different categories. But uh, looking at the points, and, and again, a weird series because we don't see this one finished. It happens over in Italy in front of the hometown crowd. The final points between the, the top Actually, it class, was, her- it was horrendous. they were separate. It was Hareth this year, Hareth. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. in uh, yeah, was... in Europe uh, after the 12th round. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I, I was just going to say we had a runaway in Pro-Am mainly because of a lack of competition. Yeah. But if you want to find where the points battle really was, Corey Lewis and Richie Antonucci taking the championship from two points over Brandon Godovic, who had a couple of different teammates over the course of the year, but then back in third and only six points off the lead were Andrea Amici and Sandy Mitchell, two drivers who debuted in the U S version of the championship this mm. year. So it really was a close fought battle going over to Europe. It was that second, uh, oh, that round rather at uh, Watkins Glen that cost Brandon uh, very dearly indeed. It was his, uh, there and at Road America. So both of those uh, rounds costing his uh, championship challenge where uh, he finished well down the standings. It looked, didn't it, uh, after the first of two races at Jerez as, as though the door had been opened again because Corey and Richie uh, had a bit of a nightmare. Only scored eight points uh, there, which gave an opportunity for, for Brandon to take it. He, he had to win uh, and... Uh, well, he didn't. He, he amassed 12 points, so he came second uh, in in that race, uh, which might have been enough had Corey and Richie finished finish down, but they did just enough, and as you say, took it by a couple of of points. Uh, in Pro-Am, it was, uh, you mentioned the runaway, it was Damon uh, Oki and uh, Jake, uh, Jacob uh, Edson, who won by 60 points over uh, yeah. Will Hubble. Uh, and then another 40 points further back, uh, Patrick Liddy, Ron Atapatu, uh, Bruno Junquera pop- popped in for a couple of races as well. Uh, in the Drivers' Championship, just a point, apparently, separated the two after. I didn't actually realise that it had so, been that close. Well, the interesting thing about the AM Championship is that McKay Snow contested the entire year. Stephen Avagakani had to miss Barber because he wasn't old enough to receive an IMSA license. That's right. So that meant from the first race of the season, the the first round at Barber, McKay Snow had a 32-point advantage over Agakani, who clawed it back little by little by little, little by little. It was the pole positions that made the biggest difference for Agakani. He swept the weekend in Jerez. The problem was there was an additional car there running at uh, the the round over in Europe. So we had Agakani and Snow, Castles, who did a phenomenal job this year, by the way. Let's take nothing away from Cameron Castles, who was driving multiple, multiple cars, the LMP2 car, car, the LMP3 car, 
and a Lamborghini some weekends doing all three. He got his first win at Road America, too. But then Sheena Monk also ran at Heretz, which meant that the worst possible score for McKay Snow, which was ultimately what he took home in the last round, all he had to do was finish the race. But it came down to a one-point gap. Agakani, I would assume, will be back next year. He's got a thing for Lamborghini, so I would think he'll be back in the same category of racing. What class they put him in, though, after that sort of performance, he's not exactly an am driver anymore, is he? No, I'm going to say Shana Monk, fourth in the championship, uh, slaying some ghosts there coming back uh, this season. The LB Cup Driver Championship for the least experience of drivers, uh, that went down uh, to pretty much to the wire uh, as well, with Mel Johnson, Ashton Harrison uh, battling it out, uh, Stephanie uh, Seymour as well. It ended up being 18 points, but going into the Hereth weekend, there was still an outside uh, chance. Uh, biggest problem for Ashton Harrison and, uh, and Stephanie Seymour was they got pole position at WeatherTech and they couldn't translate that into a win. Actually, same story at the yeah. first round at Hereth as well. Well, that wound up being a very disappointing result for that duo. Uh, that The races when Ashton qualified, more often than not, they would be at the sharp end of the field. The field. Stephanie, very inexperienced driver, was making her way into racing this year. She was getting some coaching help from Dion von Moltkes toward the second half of the year, and that really did make a difference in her driving performance. But they still had problems closing the races when Stephanie was driving. So I know that's something that they're working on a lot during the offseason, doing a lot of simulator work with her, trying to solidify that. But this Mel Johnson character, when he showed up, it was more often than not we were talking about him. And it was very funny because every time we try and meet him, his crew said, oh, no, he's off somewhere else. He's, He's doing something. And Jeremy and I both had a lot of trouble with Google trying to find anything Hmm. about Mel Johnson. It was a pseudonym. So we don't know who actually took the championship. John, it could have been you. You disappeared every time the Lambo races were on. We just figured that out. You may say that. I couldn't possibly possibly comment. Uh, Just to underline how tight it was uh, through the 12-round season, the top three teams were separated by five points. Now, albeit, uh, albeit, um, obviously, uh, there is a championship for the... Um, dealerships as well, which uh, was a, a little more cut and dried, went to the Charlotte dealership over Paramus uh, and Palm Beach. But as far as the team's championship, change racing by uh, three points, who had two points, uh, sorry, over Precision Performance Motorsport, PPM, over Prestige Performance, WTR, who were only another couple of points further back. Um, boards well for next year. Excitement, the loud, the larry, they're quite often the fastest GT cars in a straight line that we look at. And as far as I'm aware, no major changes in the championship for next year, Shea. Well, we're waiting to find out who's going to be running what what and where. Uh, Change Racing, we know, will be back because this is the second year in a row that they won the championship in a fairly dominant fashion just by sort of being there and and sticking the way through. Corey Lewis, now a two-time Super Trofeo champion. I'm not expecting necessarily to see him back in the same category. We are going to see some big changes in terms of who is running where, but I'm not expecting to see very many changes in terms of the name, the names and the faces, just perhaps a different number and a different shade band to signify which class they are running. Shea Adam joining me, John Heindorf here for our special programme as we uh, look at IMSA competition in 2019. Another fan favourite series from IMSA is the IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge now uh, firmly establishing itself as uh, the uh, undercard, if you will, a stepping stone and a place to showcase talent before people, whether it's drivers, teams or sponsors or manufacturers, jump up into the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So let's take a look at their 2019 uh, season. We'll start um, in the TCR, Touring Car Class, Um just for me, slightly disappointing, Shea. Um Yes, we had the 
Hondas and the the Hondas and the Hondas uh, this year, but we lost for the most part the the VWs. We didn't quite have the breakthrough year that I thought we were going to have. I think we need maybe four or five more entries for it to to really take off. We had the issue partway through the year, of course, where um, one of our Audi entrants uh, disappeared. The E Euro Parts Rover Racing uh, team. Uh, just disappeared. Thankfully, uh, Road Shagger Racing continued with, with some successes. We'll talk about, but it's it's it for me slightly frustrating. The racing we had there was good, but it was it was just a tad away from being great. And just for another three or four cars. Well, Merry Christmas, John, because we're going to be getting more TCR cars for next year. We've already had confirmed the addition of. Fast MD race winners this year with their number 23 machine. They are bringing a second car here. The Alfa Romeo team is based not too far away from me down here, and I've talked to them a little bit during the off season. They were very, very close to getting a breakthrough. They just had so many little things that stopped them from being ultimately competitive they've sorted those little things and it looks like they're bringing back both cars for next year so we are going to be seeing a bit stronger efforts from different manufacturers besides those h1s that dominated the top of the timing sheets at least and it should be a very exciting entry for next year while we still don't know what other manufacturers are going to come dip a toe in yet Having Hyundai come in, come in and in their first year claim the championship and first and second in the driver's championship, that's a pretty good audition for other teams coming in. Yeah, uh, we won't have, um, it's unlikely to have uh, VW. They've pulled out of all motorsport apart from electric motorsport, although they say they will still uh, be looking after uh, customers. It makes it very difficult to go to your local VW dealer and get them to, to sign on. Let's start with the Manufacturer Championship. Um, it couldn't have been any closer at the top. In fact, again, it was only six points between Honda in third uh, and Audi in top with Hyundai just a point behind Audi in the Manufacturer's title. The nice thing about the way the season went was that that changed around when it comes to the Teams Championship. Uh, Brian Herter, Autosport with Kerr Bagajanian, uh, the 98 Eight car wins the championship from the second uh, place 21 car and Road Shagger Racing in third position. Great result for them for the team's championship share. It really was. And I, I like, like seeing one manufacturer win the well manufacturer's championship and then a team of a totally different manufacturer taking the teams yes. because that lets you know was how much of a cross-team effort it was from Audi to try and claim the win. We've already mentioned the fact that E-Euro parts went away partway through the season. That was a huge addition of cars. That was three Audis. We kept road checker racing, so we only lost two of them. But still, you consider that half of their militia was wiped out halfway during the the battle that's a pretty significant effort yeah and it could have been better for road shagger racing they were third by a point and and let's not forget yep. that VIR were heading for a fabulous result until literally the last oh. lap of the race when they ended up um further down the field after contact that wasn't of their making too soon john too soon. I mean, I know I know it was August, but too soon. Those guys, they're still having sleepless nights over that. I talked with their lead strategist after the Road Atlanta round, and he sat there after everything was said and done at the pit, totaling up all the points that they lost from stupid things like that crash, like a blown strategy call at Watkins Glen, where, by the way, they still finished third, mm-hmm. but they went back through, the team did, an individual assessment of where they lost points, where they should have pitted, where they didn't. This is going to be a team coming back next year, not only looking for more wins, but looking for the championship. And let's not forget, that was the first full season of racing for Gavin Ernstone. Exactly. He dropped his toe in the water the previous year, and effectively that was a brand brand new effort. And to come second... Uh, to only to the two Brian Herter uh, uh, run cars, I think is pretty good. Uh, and they finished ahead of Elia Honda World Racing at the 37 team. Oh, I mean, Shelby Blackstop and uh, and Tom O'Gorman. There was a point in the middle of the season where they must have thought that they had uh, tripped over 
uh, a black cat whilst walking under a ladder carrying a mirror because they they really had no luck other than bad luck. The championship contenders, they were championship contenders. They ended up not being 30 points or so away from the championship lead. Only a couple of points behind Gavin and John. And as I said, they were only a point behind Harry Gottsacker and Mason Philippe in second. So that midfield battle, uh, and you can add James uh, Vance and Brian Henderson and Todd Lamb uh, into uh, and Nick Galante into that as well because they were only handfuls of mm-hmm. points further back. That midfield behind the eventual winners of Mark Wilkins and Michael Lewis, who were you know had twenty odd points on the rest of the field. That midfield battle was ex- astounding and and really kept us interested. Isn't it kind of ridiculous, Liz, when you look at all the people who were fighting over? fourth in the championship because it was all so close but yeah the the performance that we saw first off atlanta speedworks massive massive round of applause to those guys because brian henderson and todd lamb they had a season where they were always there thereabouts they weren't troubling the podium they weren't taking home trophies but they were consistent and they were dominant in terms of their performance and their, their ability to bring the car home in one piece. Super impressed with them. James Vance and Nicolante, they started off the, the year super well. They got that third at Daytona in the endurance race, keep in mind. Then things started to falter. It was looking pretty dark and dingy until VIR shone a bright light toward them and they got their first win of the year. But the LA Honda World team as a whole that was the one that really felt like what could have been. Shelby Blackstock and um, Tom McGorman, as we mentioned, championship dominant after the first two races of the year with two wins. Then they finished fifth twice, twice, and we were thinking, okay, well, maybe they're just stumbling a bit. But it was ultimately three mechanical DNFs coming at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, Lime Rock, and then the final race of the season. That really drove the stake into their hearts and made it so that they couldn't fight the Hyundais for the win. That is a big issue that they're going to need to sort out because they ran three cars over the course of the season, and all three cars stumbled, not because of anything the team did. That's the unnerving bit. Yeah, I need to get a handle uh, on that rely those reliability issues. They were quick, uh, and that Tom Tomo Gorman and Shelby Blackstock partnership. If that comes back, you've got to, I think, put an asterisk next to them straight away and say that you'd you'd expect yep. to see them in the championship. I thought Shelby did a really good year. Tom, we know about him, uh, front wheel drive specialist, but Shelby with very little front wheel drive experience really adapted to it. Very quickly, a uh, number of the Honda ro- runners had some uh, issues with tyres and had to uh, be be a little more conservative with how they were running. That uh, was at uh, Watkins Glen, wasn't it, among uh, their mm-hmm. trials and tribulations there. But I think a good season. The, the, the TCR cars have rapidly established themselves again as a fan favourite. And what's interesting to me, and I saw this particularly at Lime Rock Park, driving up, as we do, from quite a ways away from the circuit itself, <laughs> um, heading up the road there, on race day morning for the Mission and Pilot Challenge, an in-convoy with a number of clearly Honda uh, and Audi uh, followers who had tricked out cars, but not in the, in the way you would trick out a car if you were a traditional road racing fan. The, these are tuna. This is the tuna base, as it's called in America. Younger drivers, younger fans, who brought those cars and were proud to bring those cars and show them off at the car corrals. And that, I think, is a really important uh, extra dimension that the TCR category brings to IMSA competition at the Mission and Pilot Championship. Could not agree more. And the funny thing was, John, that as we were driving down to Lime Rock, I was behind a beautiful old red 944. So slightly different category. But one of the people who was driving the streetcar to every race was Mr. Wilkins, was ultimately our championship, who was tootling around in a Veloster, I think it was a turbo version yeah but it was it was almost the same color as the race car and he actually started driving around with mason felipe one of the drivers of the other car they were doing road trips to almost every race to show up at the track in the street going version of their race car which i so appreciate 
Yeah, the, and that is the other side of that. So you've got the tuna community getting on board from a spectator point of view. You've got the manufacturers like Hyundai getting very much involved uh, with the Velosta N being available in the States. That's their uh, that's their performance version. So th- two thumbs up to that. Let's move on to the GT category. GS, which is GT3. And again, a split between manufacturer and team. Five points the gap between Mercedes-AMG and uh, Audi in the Manufacturers' Championship. Uh, with a further 12 points further back, uh, Ford just shading McLaren by a couple of points. Uh, BMW in fifth, they'll not be happy with that. Uh, Chevrolet in sixth, just a single Chevy Camaro, of course, uh, scoring the points for them. Then Porsche and Aston Martin in eighth position. As far as the teams uh, were concerned, uh, it came down at the end uh, to a 12-point gap between the teams and drivers winners, the 39 Carbon with Peregrine Racing, Audi ahead of the 69 Motorsport in action McLaren in second place, and those two really, uh, in terms of the finishing points, uh, pretty much ahead of the rest. Bimmer World with their 82 BMW, just a couple of points ahead of Park Place Motorsport in that bright orange, uh, bright yellow Cayman, uh, and they had a what did they have? A 12-point gap back to Core Motorsports for the first of the Fords. The big shock for me. The best of the Mercedes AMGs down in sixth position there. And so to sum up then, that gives us the drivers champions of Tyler McQuarrie and Jeff Westfall. Let's talk about them first, Shea, because that was a tale of... Um, can we just forget about the first race and the last race, please? Uh, they had yeah. a real nightmare at Road Atlanta. I, I think they possibly tried to be a little bit yes. clever. They didn't have to do very much by that point. Uh, and maybe they didn't quite do enough because they had some unfortunate and very unusual reliability issues. Uh, Daytona, they were one no. to forget about as well. But other than that... Sebring, Mid-Ohio, Watkins Glen, CTMP, Lime Rock Park, Road America, VIR and WeatherTech Raceway, they were the model of consistency. And I think, am I right in saying they were on the podium at every... No, they were fourth at Road America. That was the only time they were off the podium. And and at um, North of the Border, yes. at the Canadian yeah. Tire. But, but yes, the worst finish of fourth through eight races, that is... That's basically what we saw last year with Team TGM from the second half of the season for them. We're talking about eight of ten rounds where you finish no worse than fourth. The final race of the season was an interesting one. They needed to start so they didn't risk the car unnecessarily through practice and qualifying. Doing minimum laps in qualifying, just starting the race. It was a turn well turn 12 actually technically incident before the start of the race that cost them any decent result because there was contact with Kyle Marcelli in the core motorsport car or was Stacey I can't remember one of the one of the drivers in that 60 Mustang and ultimately their worst race of the season being the last one but they didn't care at that point all they needed to do was finish uh, to start the race excuse me to clinch the championship So they won the championship by being smart, dominant, and pretty much by showing up and doing what they do. That was the most impressive thing. Still got a couple of pole positions for Tyler McQuarrie, so it wasn't a bad season all in all. They were challenged pretty decently by the Mia McLaren, Corey Fergus and Jesse Lazare, with a very healthy points finish over the third place finishers, Devin Jones yeah. and James Clay, in their first year of partnership. They they just didn't have the consistency, particularly in the middle part no. of the season. Started well, a couple of big podiums well, uh, for Jesse and, and Corey in the first couple of rounds in the 36 hours of, of of uh, Florida, as we call it, for the big Florida, uh, 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 <laughs> Florida for the the, the first uh, the part, couple of rounds of the season at Daytona and, and Sebring, but then a, a run of of results that was a bit up and down, back into form at CTMP, <sighs> three four quiet races, and then you know by the time they got to Road Atlanta, yeah. it was out of their hands. They really needed the low point was at VIR when they could could should perhaps have had a better result a one. But, but they they were taken out of that race by that was Trent Hinman wasn't it who who banged them yep. out of that race uncharacteristic for for Trent it should be said he's not a dirty driver um but oh, oh no 
but I mean, Trent was uh, penalised for that. But what what risk control can't do is give the win back to to Jesse uh, and to Corey, and that would have been. An easy, what should they have had there? They should have had another 35. 14 points there, which, yeah. you know, that would have taken them ahead of the finishing total of the guys who won the championship by a couple of points. Well, now, all right, maybe maybe Carbon would have done things differently at Road Atlanta if that had been the case. And ifs and ands and pots and pans. I, I know that. <laughs> but, but you've got to think that the guys at Motorsport in Action at Mayer uh, after a very tough season last year, when in some respects they seemed to be helping to develop the, the McLaren GT4 product, they came back really strongly at the start of this year. Their confidence was, was up. They really wanted to mount the championship challenge. And, I mean, we've been fortunate to to meet socially with the, the whole team. And from top to bottom, they want to be back. They will be back. And they... I'm not sure how aggrieved they felt. They felt very aggrieved after VIR, I think it's fair to say. But I, I think they're, they're racist. And Road America. They'll want, they'll want to come back and they want to win that championship and nothing else will do. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, the Trent Hinman thing, he was the first person over to apologize to them after the race. They didn't want to hear it, of course, because that was the second race weekend in a row where we went to caution very late in the race. They were leading, and by the time the checkered flag fell, they were back down in the lower half of the top 10. They just had nightmares for Road America and VIR back-to-back, two races that should have brought them home 35 points apiece. Instead, they walked away with 24 and 21, respectively. Ultimately, that's where they lost the championship and where the wind was taken out of their sails. They are going to be back for next year. I would not expect to see anyone else besides Jesse in that car. I'm not sure that Corey will be back, though. I think he's looking elsewhere. Uh, in terms, that's the top two. And, and really, as we've said, 12 points wasn't a fair reflection at the end of the year. It was much closer through the majority uh, of the season. But take nothing away from both of those teams, particularly Carbon. That was that was a championship-winning team um, when you look at the numbers and and the results. It did really doesn't lie. Uh, as I say, I think it was probably a bit closer than the 12 points at the end of the year would would suggest. From third down over, we had this clutch of, of drivers and teams uh, from 237 points down to 223, which was fifth uh, for Nate Stacey, Kyle Marcelli, Trent Hinman, Alan Brynjolfsson, Devin Jones, uh, James Clare. And behind them, I suppose you said Jim Cox and Dylan Murray weren't that far away. Neither was Jeff Moore. And, and mm-hmm. at that point, the, the gaps get much, much closer. Just, again, proving how, how tight it was and how one week you could be on the podium or indeed even be a winner, <laughs> as Nate Stacey and Kyle Marcelli were. A uh, couple of podiums across the season and one win. Uh, the next week, you're struggling to make it into the top five because that's how tight the racing was. And it was such a ridiculous season when you think back on it that we had 10 races and nine different cars won overall. The only repeat winner all year long, Robin Liddell and Frank DePew in yeah. that Chevy Camaro. And, so ha- and they, had the win of the, they had the win of the season, of course, and the, probably the moment of oh, the yeah. season in any of the IMSA championships with Robin at the end of the race, that race you were talking about at Road America that really should have gone to the McLaren and Jesse Lazare with Corey Fergus and Robin who carved his way through on the one lap. So it was a green-white checker effectively and uh, on the one lap restart and my goodness me, uh, what a run to the line. Uh, whatever happened with the McLaren, it was it was one of those moments that you don't forget in a hurry. Another great finish at uh, Road America coming up the hill there and I, I think she lovely that all of Robin and the team's hard work has has paid off because it's not yeah. been easy putting that uh, together. Uh, and, uh, you know, just the way that things went, they had a horrible start. Robin had a horrible start the season at, at Daytona. Uh, then those two wins yeah. uh, in the middle of the year uh, didn't perhaps finish off the season the way they'd wanted to. But his teammate got better and better through the year. Um, they've got a second car 
Um, we've spoken to Robin at, at various times during the season. They said they're not going to put the car out there just for the sake of it, if it makes sense. If they could make it competitive, then they might do that and they might even look at different drivers for that. Nice to see the variety with the Camaro in there as well. But, I mean, there's no... For me, it's no shock that this is one of the uh, most well-followed series that we have in IMSA because there's so much going on uh, for people to support. Different manufacturers, different drivers, and mostly great racing. Yeah. Well, when you put two hours on the clock, it's not enough time to make it cleanly on one pit stop Mm. for the GS cars. For TCR, yeah, okay, it's a little bit easier for them. But then you throw in a couple of longer endurance races, a couple of four hours at Daytona and Watkins Glen. You bring a field of more than 30 GS cars week in and week out, more than 10 TCR cars week in and week out. And you say, all right, look at our results. Sure, we've got one manufacturer that won the championship and one driver pairing that won the championship, but that's because they were there. Anybody can take home that first place trophy. And Oh, by the way, you can do it for under a million dollars a year. That is super alluring and racing. And that's exactly the type of advertising billboard that most series would cut an arm off for that. Michelin pilot challenge is just sitting there going, yeah, this is what we offer. And this is what we've offered for years. It's not changing. Come play with us. Difficult year for the defending champions often is that uh, difficult second album. Owen Trinkler and yeah. Hugh Plum, uh, actually, um, their high point, they got, a, they got a win at Lime Rock, didn't they? That was their high point. They got the win. Yeah, they got the win at Lime Rock. Uh, they had a podium position uh, at VIR as well, which is a track that Owen knows very well. But in some ways, you'd say their traditional bad start to the season. The difference this year was that at Lime Rock, it's oh, here we go, here we go again, you know, um, another four rounds after this, they'll, they'll be in with a shout, but they didn't really get their season going. Uh, bit of bad luck, one or two mistakes, um, didn't get the rub of the racing green sometime, but finished strongly, and that we know will carry on into next year, and I think with two cars again for, for Ted Giovanna's Motorsport. Yeah, we'll wait to see the uh, driver lineups that emerge. I think we're still just a little bit too far away for the Pilot Challenge driver lineups to really start coming out. But that will be a nice big surprise the first week of day t- the first week of January when we get to Daytona to see all these driver pairings emerging, all the shiny new fire suits he's going to be sharing. I see no reason whatsoever. Unless the world is a cruel, sick place to split up Hugh and Owen, though. They're such a good pairing, and they've gelled so well over the last couple of years. I really enjoy seeing what those guys can do. Owen, with a couple, uh, I think it was ultimately three or maybe four pole positions this year. So he really did have a good season. They just didn't finish the way that they had hoped that they would in terms of getting the trophies and getting the points. But as you said, the second album is hard. But the third album, just look at the Beatles. It's always a good one. I mean, ironically, as Mercedes-AMG won the Manufacturers' Championship uh, by just that five-point margin, as we said, over Audi, the biggest, and I'm not going to say complaint, but certainly the, the comment that we heard from the Mercedes teams, the AMG teams, during the year was that although on a single lap their cars were pretty quick, particularly if you could find the gap, the issue that they were having is how they raced. They didn't seem to have the bite, the the torque out of the corners. And that was making racing those cars very hard indeed, which led to drivers, including Owen, I think, even by his own admission, trying to overdrive those cars sometimes and pushing the cars into mistakes. They were also very, very good on a long run, not so good on a short run. Um, you know, that's one of those things, isn't it? Oh, the car's quite light on its Mitchell and Pilot tyres. Uh, oh, great, for a long run. But when you're coming back after a safety car, full course yellow, or you're coming out the pits and you've got a new set on, you want to get them up to operating temperature um, as quickly as you can. Now, what we know, share is all of those comments will be taken on board by the IMSA technical team and that is a situation that will be looked at and be looked at in 
the circumstances that they've been described and also in the context of looking at actual empirical data. Yes, and it's not just throwing a dart at a board. There is a lot of effort and technology and planning and plotting and scheming that goes into trying to make this racing as fair as it possibly can be. For the championship winning manufacturer, Mercedes, that's two in a row that they've come away with. They did get three wins this year. Unfortunately, it was for three different teams and three different driver pairings. So they, while they will get all the information, and IMSA certainly will get all the information to try and figure out a better balance for this car, the teams aren't necessarily sharing amongst themselves. So you're not going to find Winward necessarily going with TGM, going with Riley to try and figure out how all three of them can make the Mercedes a stronger platform. But coming into next year, I would expect that, you know, Stuttgart's going to pass down some information that's a bit stronger for the TriStar uh, logo. It still is an interesting dilemma, though, when you have Mercedes and and McLaren, for that effect, two different teams that were running the McLaren this year with Mia and Compass. Compass getting one win. Mia should have having a couple of wins. But they weren't as strong as a manufacturer as they should have been. They're going to be working together. Ford, they don't care who's running the car. They make sure that all their teams are working together. For Audi, it was a much simpler situation because they only had the car ball. But looking at the teams a little bit further down throughout the points, Mercedes coming away with with the manufacturer's championship, despite the fact that their teams were not functioning as one set unit. It's just a bit ironic. Going to put you on the spot here uh, and ask you to look back at the season. Um, I think you've got to say the team of the year was Carbon. I, I don't think there's any yes. way you, you can look past that. Um, in terms of the drivers, it would be easy to say Tyler McQuarrie and Jeff Westfall. And in fairness, they barely put a, a, a foot wrong. Um, but should should we be looking further down for maybe improved Drivers, I thought Alan Brynjolfsson did a much better job this year, aided uh, ably by Trent Hinman. Uh, I thought uh, also, actually, Frank Depew, uh, also being mentored by an extremely uh, able teacher in, in Robin Liddell. Where, where was, where's your performance of the season, either as a team or a, a driver, coming from in the GS category? Um... Honorable mention goes to Russell Ward, his performance at Laguna that ultimately wound up with them getting a win. Yes, very good. That was good. a breakthrough. I think um, I think Russell had a did... breakthrough year this year, if I'm honest. That's a very, very good point. Um, he And he's also taken on uh, some of the responsibility, much of the responsibility of running the team now. Uh, and, of yes. course, Winwood now having bought... Uh, HTP Motorsport and saved HTP Motorsport actually back in Europe. Uh, Russell's doing a lot of back and forth there. What that means for his driving, I'm not sure. I'll add in his dad, by the way. I thought Bryce, um, uh, again, showed extraordinary driving talent this year. Um, a, a driver um, rich in experience of life, but not in, in, in racing, relative <laughs> newcomer. And I just every time I saw Bryce, he was smiling. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more with you on that. Um, in terms of, I mean, I've, I've got to give it to our champions, though. In terms of a perfect season, yeah. Westfall and Macquarie, they build, they figured it out with the help of Steve Dynan on the pit box calling strategy. I can only think of two situations all year where the car came back looking worse for the wear. And the one was in uh, Laguna during the practice session where Tyler McQuarrie and the heart racing Honda made contact out mm. on the track. And there was a bit of Honda shard sticking out of the Audi That's wheel right. at an odd angle, which still is perplexing. Um, but those two drivers, they just really came in with one mission, which was to win the championship by keeping the car clean. And they did that. So my, my hat goes off to them. Uh, uh, we had our Forge wheels spirit of the race award for each of the uh, events this year and and thanks for their support across the uh, Mission Pilot Challenge uh, season. In, in If we had a Spirit of the Season uh, award or maybe, let's say, 
moment of the season, if you will, uh, for that, in that same sort of vein. I know what mine would be. Mine would be Robin's win at, uh, at Road America. Um, just that never-say-die attitude that the doughty Scotsman always had. And, and I loved the fact that when we talked to him afterwards about it, he said, no, I, had every, I knew I had every chance of winning. Uh, it, you know, I just yeah. had to drive the wheels off it kind of thing. What, 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 what do you look back on and, and where, what lights up your Michelin Pilot Challenge in, in terms of the, the Forge Line Wheels uh, spirit or moment of the season? Well, everyone is going to remember Robin's win at road america because it was so spectacular and it was just so stunning literally stunning we were all amazed that that car that had restarted the race 4.047 miles before was crossing the line first (laughs) that was beyond magnificent but to me the the moment of the season would probably be their win at canadian tire motorsport park where they went from having a pretty dismal weekend. The pit box that they share every weekend was with Paul Miller Racing. And Paul Miller Racing had had a crash in the second or... No, it was the third free practice Mm. session of the weekend. They packed up and went home. So Rebel Rock was literally left high and dry. No place to sit, no TVs to watch, no nothing. They went to a local store bought the biggest TV that Robin could find, set up under a pop-up tent, and came on to win the race. The the tears that were flowing from that team after that win, that will stick with me for a long time. And that's interesting because, of course, Rebel Rock were the only team to win the Forge Line Wales Spirit of the Race Award twice in the season. A cracking year for the Michelin Pilot Challenge and indeed all of the other championships that we've been talking about it's been an absolute pleasure to bring them to you on rs2 ims radio the new season not that far uh, from getting underway so make sure you stay tuned to ims radio on rs2 and with of course much of what we've been talking about in sound and vision uh, for you across the world. My particular thanks to Shea Adam for this programme, but also to all of our contributors throughout the year in the championships we've been talking about in this special programme. And our best wishes particularly to our colleague Brian Till, who will be rejoining us in 2020. And well done on your recovery, Brian. We've been thinking about you a lot. Jeremy Shaw was the other... uh, uh, permanent voice in the booth across the season with me John Hindorf and the rest of the team thanks for joining us and here's to 2020 this programme is a Radio Show Limited production tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com